As Jack was saying, probably the most popular verse in the whole Bible is John 3.16. And I would say most every one of you guys have this verse memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. And while that verse is probably the most popular verse in the Bible, it's probably, quite honestly, the most misunderstood verse in the Bible. Because over time, words change. And that word, believe, that we see in there, we really need to understand the context behind that word to really understand and grasp what it really means. So over time, words change. For example, when I was younger, sick was a bad word. Like you, if you were sick, you were thrown up or you were, had a flu or a fever. Now sick is a positive thing. Like, dude, that was sick. All right? Like that dunk was sick. That, it's, a, it's a positive thing. Words change. Another, another example, snap. See, when I was your age, snap is this. But when you think of snap, what do you think of? Snapchat. What were you thinking of? Oh, snap. Oh, that's a good one, too. See, it's even changed. Yeah. Another one is the word bay. See, when I was your age, the bay was this body of water that you went and you had your boat in there and you could swim or do whatever. Bay now means something totally different, right? Before anyone else, right? It changes. Tweet. That used to be what birds did. But now that's what you guys do. Actually, you probably don't do that anymore because you're in other things. Um, tag, that was a game I played when I was little. But now you want to be tagged and post with social media. And one last one, <laughs> you don't. Um, one last one is K. It used to be a letter in the alphabet. <laughs> now it's a terrible way to end a text conversation. And this is what I do. If you ever text me K, I always text back LMNOP. It's just what I do because I don't like K. Okay? Okay. So words change. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever believes. And I think over time that word believe has changed from when it was written until today. And I believe the enemy uses that word, this verse, John 3, 16, to lead people, to teach people, to make people think that they believe when they really don't believe. Because if you look, if you ask your, all of your friends at school, if you ask the typical American, do you believe in Jesus? Most likely, 95% of them would say yes. Because why? You grew up in America, and if you went to church any your whole life, you believe in Jesus. Whether you trust Jesus in your life or not, you still believe in Jesus. I have a family member who is not a Christian, and he would tell you, I am not a Christian. He commits that. But if you ask him, do you believe in Jesus? He would tell you, yes, I believe in Jesus. So that leads us to believe that there's two different meanings of believe. There's the intellectual belief, and there's a heart belief. And we will look at that tonight. Because even if you look in Scripture, even the demons 
believe in Jesus and they shudder at his name. And we can't take away, we cannot say that you know, a person cannot be saved unless they believe. You can only be saved if you believe in Jesus. Um, Acts 16.31, believe in, on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we can't change that. We can't change scripture. But I, I think there's two different definitions that we're going to look at tonight. John 3.16 is a great verse. Probably one of my most favorite verses, but we need to understand the context behind John 3.16. And in order to do that, we're going to look at some verses before that. We actually go back to chapter 2, read a couple verses in chapter 2, and then go to chapter 3. So we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, which I hope you're okay with that. That's, I think it's going to help us understand this idea of belief. Are you ready? Can we do this? All right. Chapter 2, verse 23. Seeing your handout, it's going to be on the screen as well. It says, now when he, talking about Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, what's that word? Believed in his name when they saw signs he was doing. Signs, when John uses the word signs, he's talking about miracles. So when people saw the miracles that Jesus was doing, Scripture says many believed in Jesus. Okay? Verse 24. But Jesus on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So he's like, these people who believe, it's not the kind of belief that I'm looking for. These people believe with their mind. They saw me do miracles and they believed. And Jesus says, I'm not going to entrust myself to them. So this leads us to believe there's two two different Definitions for the word believe. So, one of the guys there was named Nicodemus. Chapter 3, verse 1 is our introduction to Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. So he was part of this group of people who believed in Jesus because they saw the miracles that he was doing. They saw Jesus do these signs, these miracles, and he was one of the group of people that believed. Jesus answered him, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, just imagine Nicodemus. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do what? Like, born again? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now, I was in a room when Tiffany gave birth to all three of our kids. And the two, the, our latest two, our latest two, um, the two boys that were born previous, uh, last, thank you. <laughs> they were born at a birthing center in a tub. And it was pretty cool, all right? It was more chill. Selah, however, her first was born in a hospital. And Tiffany, my wife, had no drugs, no medicine. Um, I had no drugs, no medicine, and I remember when, when, when she was there, like, they put all this stuff on Tiffany to monitor her, and I noticed this little, this little machine beside the bed, and you know, I started noticing that when this bar got higher, my wife got in pain. Like, she was having contractions. So being the, the good husband that I am, I was telling Tiffany, all right, Tiffany, it's about to happen. It's, they're getting higher. Be ready. And then she would have her contraction, and then 
It would go back down. I was like, and I saw it go really high one time. I was like, oh, Tiffany, this is a big one. <laughs> Prepare yourself. And my holy, godly wife, no joke, she took my shirt and said, shut up. I don't want to know when the contractions are coming. Let me tell you something. I looked at the doctor. I says, dude, you got to give her some medicine. No joke. I said that. I said, you need to give this woman some medicine. And not exactly that way, but I said, can, can you give her something? And, and um, let me just tell you, it was intense. When Stella was born, she was in labor from about midnight to 11.30 or so until 7 a.m., and it was intense. Because when we got there, the doctor said, because we went to be induced, it's like, oh, this, we'll do this thing right here, and then about 7 o'clock, she'll start labor. No, 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 no. About 30 minutes later, she started labor, and we didn't have any sleep. And it was terrible. It was intense. So my question is this. A lot of our physical births are intense. But why is it so many times that our spiritual birth is not intense? Like we make a decision and we don't really see change in our life. And if you remember back in when we did a fall retreat, one of my messages were, was all about when you meet Christ, your life should be different. When you meet Christ, it should equal change in your life. But so many times it does not equal change. So our spiritual birth, and let's look at verse 4. It says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he is very confused. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and that is your physical birth, and the spirit, that is your spiritual birth, and when you became a Christian, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, like I said, Salem's birth was intense. But so many times our spiritual birth is not intense. People don't even know that we're Christians because we don't tell them. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And we're just going to read verses 10 through 13 real quick so we get a grasp of this. Jesus answered him, are you, a teacher there? <clears throat> are you, a, are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not know, understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then we get to verse 14. I think this is the key verse. Many people think John 3.16 is key, but I think this is the key verse. John 3.16 is, is a beautiful summary but John 3.14 is key in 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, Nicodemus would have known about this. Nicodemus, being a Jew, there's a good chance he had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Or at least he knew them very well. So he knew about Moses. So far, Jesus, what Jesus has been talking about has been gibberish to him. But he knew about Moses. So as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so... The Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So John 3.16 is based off of John 3.14. 
And Jesus gives us the definition of the word believe right there. Just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness or the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes like that will be saved. And some of you are like, okay, I don't even know what, what are you talking about? This whole snake in the desert and what, what is that all about? I'm glad you asked because we're going to look at that. You have to go back to Numbers 21 to find out what Jesus was talking about, which Nicodemus would have known very well about. They had been in the desert at this point. Remember the story of Moses? Remember he went to Pharaoh? He says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. And then he left, and long story short, they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. The waters came and killed the Egyptians, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And at this point, they've been there for about 38 years in Numbers 21. And there's some people say three, three and a half million people were there. It's a pretty big camp. And God took care of them. They, he, he provided for them food with manna and water. And look at Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. It says, From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people, the Israelites, became impatient on the way. And they spoke against God and against Moses. He says, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. What was that food? Anybody know? Manna, which is translated, what is it? That's what it's translated. Like, what is this? And just, okay, just imagine me going home after Tiffany being cooking for hours, and I open the pot up and it's like, what is this? Like, that wouldn't go very well. If I were to sit down at dinner and says, I detest this miserable food, Tiffany, that you cooked, that wouldn't go very well. And it didn't go very well with God. Because this is what happened. When they, when they spoke out against Moses and against God, it says, why have you brought us up out of Egypt? In other words, they're saying, we were better off as slaves. And they forgot how bad it was when they were slaves. It says, why did you bring us up out of slavery, out of Egypt, to come to the wilderness to die. They brought them out to go to the promised land, right? But they're not quite there yet. Let's keep reading. And there's one more thing about this. I can kind of understand what they're, what, what, why, they're, why they're saying this. I mean, if you have manna for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner for 38 years, you'll get tired of it too, right? So they spoke out. Against Moses and against God. And this is what happened. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents or snakes among the people. And they bit the people and many of the Israelites died. Now that sounds harsh. And you know, from doing some research, more than likely the snake that was there was something called a sand viper. And we actually have a picture of one. This is... The sand viper hidden in the sand. And you can tell, there's some videos. You need to go to YouTube and look at some videos, how they get down in there. It's, it's amazing. Um, and the next picture is a, a close-up. This is likely what was there. And these are the things that, these are the snakes that bit the Israelites. And Scripture says that many of them died. We don't know how many, but many died. Verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord and that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses 
prayed for the people in verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, this is what God says after he prayed. He says, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on, set it on a pole. And, a serp- <clears throat> and if a serpent bit anyone, he who looked at the bronze serpent lived. So I have for you a replica of what it looked like back then. All right. So this is similar to what it looked like. This is my son's stuffed animal that he sleeps with every night. And so pretty much what happened was they prayed to God, take away the snakes. We don't want the snakes anymore. So God, this is God's solution. It says make, get a pole. We don't know how big the pole was. It could have been shorter or long. I don't know. It says make a bronze snake, put it on the pole, and if anyone was bitten by a snake, you look at the snake on the pole and you live. It's kind of weird, right? But that's, that's the solution that God had. He didn't take the snakes away. I would have prayed, just take the snakes away, but he didn't do that. He left the snakes there. <clears throat> and if you got bitten, look at one and live. Now imagine, all right? Imagine you're strolling through the desert, you and your bay, all right? And you got bitten by a snake. Bam, it happened. Like you just you didn't see it. It just came up and bit you. What are you going to do? You're going to drop everything and run as fast as you can to find this snake. Why? Because this snake is going to save your life. Now, I, I imagine three and a half million people. There's a lot of people there, right? I imagine there's some tents set up where people lived. Now imagine you got bit, and you can't see that snake. What are you going to do? You're going to jump as high as you can so you can get a glimpse of the snake. You're going to jump to try to get a glimpse of the snake. Why? Because the snake's going to save your life. Now, do I look silly doing that? Yeah. Yeah. But who cares? When you're bit by a snake and you have the solution that's going to save your life, you're going to drop everything. You're going to leave Bay behind. You're going to run as fast as you can before you die to get to the snake. It's that important. Now, imagine a man drowning. If a man is drowning, he's not going to say, excuse me, lifeguard. Like, when you get a moment, can you throw me a life vest? Because I'm drowning here. But I don't want to bother you, just whenever it's convenient for you. No, you wouldn't do that, right? What would you do? You would scream. Say, lifeguard, I need your help. I am drowning here. And it wouldn't matter what was in your way. You would do everything you can to get the lifeguard's attention because they have a device that could save your life. Now, I almost drowned once. I was probably 10 or 11, and we went to this neighborhood pool growing up. I live in a small town. 
in the country, if you couldn't tell. And all my buddies went to this one neighborhood pool. It wasn't quite Olympic size, but it was pretty big. And we always played shark. I don't know if you know what shark is, but we always play shark. And I jumped down, and I was kind of hanging out, hanging out at the bottom of the pool for it's about 10, 12 feet probably, hanging out at the bottom. And then I was coming back up to get the wall before I got tagged. And as I was coming up, coming up, this kid jumped on me. And I went back to the bottom. And I was already, I had a little bit of air left, but not very much. So I pushed off the bottom again to get to the top, and another kid jumped on me. And I went back. At this point, I was going to do whatever it took because I am out of air. And I wanted oxygen so bad. So I did everything I could to get to the top and got breath. And I remember that feeling that I wanted breath, air, more than anything else in my life at at that point. And I'm sure that is the way people felt when they got bit by the snake. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm going to run. I will do whatever. If you're in my way, you're going down. I'll do whatever it takes to get to the snake because the snake has the power to save my life. The snake has the power to save my life. And that's powerful. Come get a volunteer. Yeah, black shirt. Tell me your name again. Jay. Come on up. Actually, come right here. Right, this is Jay. We're best friends, by the way. Jets. I'm sorry. Jets. This is Jets. Is it really Jet? Yeah. All right. This is Jet. We're best friends. And um, Jet just got bit by a snake. You just got bit by a snake, didn't you? Yeah. Say yes, sir. Yes. yes, sir. It hurt, didn't it? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you want to go see the bronze snake so you can be healed? Say no, sir. No, sir. Why not? The snake could save you. Say, I don't believe in that stuff. Mm. Well, all your friends here, you're about to die. So do you want to say goodbye to your friends? Yeah. Say yes, sir. Bye, Parker. Say yes, sir. <laughs> say yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. But the thing is, you can't walk because your legs are swollen. Say, oh, no. Yeah. So do you make carry you so you can say goodbye to your friends? Say yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Hop on my back. Yes, Hop on. <laughs> my shirt is coming up. You don't need to see that. <laughs> All right. So say goodbye to your friends. Say bye. bye. Say I'll miss you. Everyone. Say bye. Now, if he was truly my friend, my best friend, what would I do? I would walk over to the snake. And I would say very lovingly, hey, Jet, get down. The snake is in front of you. Will you please look at it? Look at it. Now, he has a choice whether he looks at the snake or not. But as a friend who loves Jet, I would take him and beg him, please look at the snake because it can save your life. You can have a seat. Thank you. Have a, look at the snake. Look at it because it can save your life. So, do you understand the story of Romans, uh, Numbers 21 now? You understand what's happening, right? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm out of breath. 
That's why I picked the small guy and not you. <laughs> I even worked out this morning. I did five push-ups. <laughs> All right. So, if you believe like that, you will have eternal life. Just as Moses, just as, listen to verse 14 again. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes, listen, everyone who believes like this will have eternal life. Does it make sense now? If you believe like everything you have depends on you, your life, it depends on it, life or death. If you believe like that in your heart, that the snake's going to save my life if I got bit. If you believe like that, you will have eternal life. Just as Moses lifted the snake up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. Do you get this? He gave his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes, and it's not, a, it's not this kind of belief, guys. Get this. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want you guys to get that. Because so many of us, we have knowledge of Jesus. We know all about him. And we've all been bitten by a snake called sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. That's you and that's me. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And this right here is the, is, is the, the salvation, the healer, what can heal you when you get bitten by this snake. Every time the words lifted up is mentioned in the Gospel of John, it's talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Just look through it. Every time the word lifted up is mentioned, it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the crucifixion. So as the Son of Man is lifted up, it's the crucifixion. Just like the snake brought healing to their sicknesses, the cross brings healing to our sin. Just like the snake brought healing to you when you got bit and the venom is in your body, the cross brings healing to those who is bitten by this snake called sin. And that has the power to save your life. There's this quote. It's on your handout. 
I don't know who, who, where it's from, but it says this. It says, John 3.16, it presents the greatest lover, which is God, the greatest measure of love, so loved, the greatest recipient of love, the world, the greatest utterance of love that he gave, the greatest gift of love, his only son, the greatest beneficiaries of love, that whoever the greatest answer to love believes in him, the greatest liberation of love should not perish, and the greatest result of love but have eternal life. As we close, um, I want to talk to three different groups real quick. And I think most of you is going to fall into these groups. There's a group here that you're a Christian. You accepted Christ in your life. You've been baptized. You've taken that next step of faith. You've been baptized. But you're not serious. You're not serious about taking your friends to the, to the, to the snake, to the cross, that they, that they can be healed of their sin. You're not serious. Like, like Jets, I would do whatever it takes to get him to the snake so he can see it and that so he can be healed. There's a group of you here tonight. You're not serious about this. You know, Pastor Joe all the time talks about you and two, you and two, you and two. Who are your two people that you can invite, invest in and invite to reverb? That you can share God's love with. We cannot forget this, guys. Who are your two people? Because if we truly believe that the cross has the power to save like the Israelites with the snake, if we believe that, it doesn't matter how stupid we look when we jump up and try to get to the snake. It doesn't matter. We would do whatever it takes to get people to the cross so they can see and understand the love of Jesus Christ. So who are your two that you need to invite, invest in. There's another group here. You're also a believer. And you've never taken that next step in baptism. And I believe you need to. Short testimony of my life. I became a Christian in sixth grade. I didn't, I didn't get baptized as a believer until I was a senior in high school. And I felt like I needed to do that. Like I was disobedient if I did not get baptized. And some of you, you've been a believer for weeks, months, years, whatever, but you've never taken that next step, and I'm challenging you guys to do that. Talk to your small group leaders. Get with me. Go online and sign up. Easter weekend, it's going to be incredible. We're doing baptisms Easter weekend, and I would encourage you guys to be a part of that. And then the last group that I want to talk to you is you're just not there. Like you, you, you don't, you never put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. You're just not there yet. And I would challenge you guys tonight to do that. And as I mentioned last week, I'm not going to lead you into any prayer. But I want you to just have an authentic conversation with God. Speak. You don't have to speak out loud. Just speak in your mind. Pray. And he will hear you. And scripture says, if you confess your sins, 
that God, Jesus, is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And some of you need to have a conversation with God tonight and place your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. And it's very simple. Just talk to him. Tell him you're sorry for the sins in your life. Ask him to come and live with you. And he'll do it. And be authentic with that. So during this last song, the band, you can guys make your way up here. During this last song, if that is you, don't even, I mean, just, just have a conversation with God. Have a conversation with God. Have a conversation with God and make it happen tonight. Don't delay that. And in your small groups, talk about that. Your small group is not going to look down on you if you, they're going to celebrate with you. They're going to celebrate with you if you've made a commitment to follow Christ tonight. So those are your three people that want to talk to you. Are you serious about leading your friends to Christ? Maybe you need to take your next step in baptism. Maybe if you have never placed your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, tonight's the night to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the cross. That you came in form of a man and you lived a perfect life and you died for us so that we can have a relationship with you, so we can spend eternity with you in a place called heaven. God, thank you. I don't understand the love that you have for us. But God, I thank you for that love. God, work tonight. If there's anyone here who does not know you, God, I pray that they would just begin that relationship with you right now as we speak. God, help us to get serious about our walk with you. We love you. We thank you. Move tonight, God. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen.